the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. We're talking today about what a church is. And we're going to be taking a look at two sections of Scripture, Matthew 26, 26 to 30, and Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Matthew 26, starting at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then we're gonna take a look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is a church? What makes up a church? Last week, we talked about what is at the heart of the church, which is the preaching of the word. This is central to the life of any faithful church, the preaching of the word. And this is one of the things that pretty much any uh, Protestant church will agree on, that the preaching of the gospel is at the very heart of what makes up the life of the church. If you want to have a church, you must have preaching, and the preaching that takes place must not simply be the thoughts from the head of the pastor, but the preaching of the Bible, the preaching of the gospel. There's a second aspect to what makes up a church as well, and the second aspect is perhaps the most divisive thing in the history of the church. And that is sacraments. The second aspect of what makes up a church are sacraments. I read last week from some of our confessional documents, we talked about how uh, a church is made up of the pure preaching of the word, and second, the right administration of the sacraments. And sacraments are difficult for me to talk about, frankly, because of the division that sacraments have created within the church. Like I said, sacraments have been the most divisive part of the life of the church and the history of the church. 
Now, a little bit of historical background for us. You probably remember that the Protestant Reformation was a major part of this. You likely remember the story of Martin Luther going and and nailing the 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. He was talking a lot about indulgences as he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church. And at the time that Luther was doing this, there were a lot of practices in the Roman Catholic Church that he was seeking to, uh, to address a lot of things that had started going wrong that he was trying to correct. And there were a lot of people that were observed around him about what he was trying to do that were encouraging him in that. One was a a Dutch theologian named Erasmus who was encouraging Luther and all of his work. But when Luther started talking about the sacraments of the church, how there should only be those sacraments which Christ instituted, about how there shouldn't be seven, but two, because those are the two that that Jesus instituted, this is the place where he said, "Now now you have created something where the breach is irreparable. Erasmus said that uh, the break between you and the Roman Catholic Church is now impossible to repair because you've started teaching something different on sacraments. This is what the, this is what the, the, the big thing was for the church at the time. It wasn't so much Luther's teaching on grace that created the greatest trouble and the most substantial breach. That was his teaching on the sacraments. And immediately after Luther was kicked out of the church of the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church began, immediately Protestant churches began to split over the issue. You see, the Roman Catholic Church said that the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Supper, the the bread and the cup became the body and the blood of Jesus when the priest lifted up the bread and he said in Latin, this is my body. In Latin, it's hoc es corpus meum. One of the interesting things about all of that is that people at this time started to think that that word hoc es corpus meum was a magic word or a magic phrase. And so actually the phrase hocus pocus is a garbled hoc es corpus. Do you understand how that could work? Like people thought, oh, this is a magic word. They thought it was hocus pocus and so they would say it thinking that it would make magic things happen because in the, the, the service, when the priest said hoc es corpus, they thought that that was the magic word that turned bread and wine into body and blood. The Lutheran, the Lutheran said, well, this can't possibly be the case. There's nothing magical that happens in the, uh, in the, in the ceremony, right, in the, in the mass. So they said, but Christ is still physically present, present but it's through this, through this great mystery that they called consubstantiation. The Roman Catholic teaching was transubstantiation. Lutherans called it consubstantiation. They still said there was a physical presence, and so that created a breach between them and the Reformed. The Reformed said, there's no physical presence in the bread and in the cup. And because Reformed theology tries to be Trinitarian and and tries to draw out the work of the Spirit, they said there's a real physical absence in the bread and in the cup. And instead, we participate in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. There's a real spiritual presence in the bread and in the cup. And that's the Spirit helps us to feast then on, on Christ through the Lord's Supper. That was a break between the Lutherans and the Reformed, and then the Zwinglians came around and they said, well, there's no physical presence, there's no spiritual presence in the bread and in the cup. There is it's just a memorial that takes place when the Lord's Supper takes place. And so there was another breach that happened, and so at the very beginning of the Protestant Reformation, there were all these different streams that began, and every one of the breaks, every one of the breaches, every one of the divisions had to do with sacraments. And as things continued on, then the Baptists came along, and the Baptists were like, hold on, guys you all are still baptizing babies. We should only baptize people upon a profession of faith. And this created another rupture. And the the church has kept rupturing since. And and sacraments has often been one of the big parts of that. And sadly, sacraments, these gifts that God has given to us, have come to be things that keep us divided as Christians. 
When I first became a pastor, I was looking for direction in ministry. I was looking for some mentorship. And there were a group of pastors in this area that would meet with a fair bit of frequency. It was, and, and it was started by a number of pastors that I really respected. And they said, you know what, you should come and, and join with us. We meet at these certain times throughout the year. And these wiser pastors kind of give us instruction about how it is that we younger pastors should be uh, engaging in the ministry. These were people all really committed to preaching the word, having it being central in the life of the church, and I was really excited about the potential of joining with them and learning from these wise pastors, and, and they had been excited to have me participate until they found out that I baptized babies. And they said, oh, this is actually just for Baptist pastors. I respect that, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, different, that's a theological difference and distinction that, that exists, but it was this barrier that kept me from participating with this group of people because I baptized babies. It's with great trepidation that I venture into sacraments. And I want to talk about them because they're essential and they're important for us to know about. And it's important and good for us to know why it is that we do certain things and why it is that we're structured in certain ways as a church. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. How many sacraments are there? Well, there are two sacraments. The two sacraments that we have are the two that were given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the two sacraments that we read in the scriptures today. We read about the Last Supper when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, right? When he's sitting with the disciples, how he takes the bread and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. He takes the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is for you, which is shed for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as Jesus gives this to his disciples, he tells them to keep doing it and he tells them to do it in remembrance of him. And so that means that this is one of the things that Jesus has given to the church and is saying, hey, keep doing this thing. Keep participating in the Lord's Supper. Keep enjoying the Lord's Supper together. Make sure that this continues to be a part of how it is that you are constituted. This needs to be a part of the way that you worship by participating in the Lord's Supper and remembering remembering what it is that I have done as you do it. The other is baptism in Matthew 25 where he says, go into the world and make disciples. And when you make disciples, you should baptize them and you should teach them you should teach them to follow everything that I've, teach, that, I've, uh, that I've commanded you, right? And so what he's doing in telling this is that baptism should continue to be a part of the life of the church. And so the Lord's Supper and baptism, two essential aspects of what it means to be a church. And we don't want to get rid of them because Jesus himself commanded us to continue to do them. And we want to make sure that they are central to our life because they are gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. They're not just things that we invented to do, but they are commands from Jesus to continue practicing in our midst. That's why we continue to have baptisms like we had today. And that's why we continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly within our midst because it is that Jesus commanded them. Other traditions say that there are more sacraments. One in particular says that there are seven. The Roman Catholic Church add five sacraments to baptism and the Lord's Supper. They add penance and confirmation and marriage and holy orders, which is priestly ordination, and extreme unction, which are the last rites. And we as a church, as a Protestant church, as a Reformed church, we have determined that only those sacraments which Jesus initiated should be sacraments for us as, our, as a church. We still have marriages, we still have profession of faiths, what, what Catholics call confirmation, we still have ordination, ministers still visit the sick, though we don't have formal last rites. We're called to confess our sins to one another, but we don't have a formalized process for confessing to a priest. We have it as a part of a worship service. We have a confession and assurance 
But we do still keep and remember and call sacraments the two things that the Lord Jesus Christ himself instituted, the Lord's Supper and baptism, which Jesus commanded. And one of the things for us to consider is how both of these sacraments, both of these things that the Lord Jesus has given to us, are connected to the Old Testament. The Old Testament connection is very clear in the Lord's Supper. The Last Supper, you see, was a Passover meal. As Jesus was headed towards his own death, it was at the time of Passover, and the disciples were able to get this upper room, and and Jesus and the disciples participated in the Passover together in the upper room, and and Jesus was taking the cup, which was part of the Passover rites, and that's when he said, this is my blood. He was taking the bread, which was a part of the way that Passover was celebrated, when he said, this is my body. The Passover, you may remember, was the time when the people of Israel remembered that they had been saved from Egypt and redeemed out of slavery through the blood of the Lamb. Now, Passover was instituted because as the Lord bought his people out of slavery, as he redeemed them from slavery, he said that there was going to be a final plague that was visited upon Egypt, but that his people could be saved from it. They could be saved from the death of the firstborn, which was coming to all of the people in the land of Egypt if they did this thing. If they found a lamb that was out without blemish, and if they, if they killed that lamb, if they slayed that lamb, and if they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on their doorposts, if they put it on the top and they put it on the side, so that when the angel of the Lord came, that he would pass over those houses that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Those who were under the blood of the lamb were spared from death. The people of Israel ate bread without yeast to remember the haste with which they left Egypt. They drank four cups of wine to remember the four phrases that God used to speak of their redemption. He says, I will take you out, I will save you, I will redeem you, I will take you as a nation. And they ate the lamb, the lamb that had been slaughtered, the lamb that was out without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And it was many generations after this that our Lord Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. That's what we read today. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he takes the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And one of the things that we should remember or realize or draw to mind as we read this account of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper is we should ask, well, where is the lamb in the picture of the Last Supper that Jesus has given? I think we know the answer. The spotless, perfect lamb whose blood protected from death, that spotless lamb was sitting in their midst. He was about to provide a much greater redemption than even that which was given to Israel way back in Exodus. You see, by the wounds of Christ Jesus, we are healed. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, the lamb without blemish, you and I and all who trust in Jesus are saved from death. And you have the promise... That if you are someone characterized by the blood of the lamb, the lamb without blemish, characterized by, by being redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, death will pass over you as well. And you will live everlastingly with our Savior and Lord. This is what, this is what communion tells us about. About how we're saved from death by the blood of the lamb. And baptism. Baptism is connected in scripture to an Old Testament rite as well. And I want to show you this. And please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. It's on page 1,169. I just want to show you uh, so that we can see this together, so that we can see the Old Testament roots of, of these sacraments that we participate in. Page 1,169 is Colossians chapter 2. I want to read verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. All right, 
Colossians chapter 2, 6, or 8, sorry, 8 through 12. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Colossians chapter 2, especially 11 and 12, tells us about circumcision and then talks about circumcision and relates it to baptism. Verses 11 and 12, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body, the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in this section of scripture, in this section of scripture, Colossians chapter 2, we're, we're told that there is another Old Testament connection to the other sacrament. Now, whereas the Lord's Supper is connected to Passover, baptism is connected to circumcision. And it's important for us to understand what circumcision was in the Old Testament. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign and seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. And that's what, um, that's what Romans chapter 4 says. And I'm just going to read this quick for us because our time is drawing short. So... Um, all right, let me, f- okay, here it is. Romans chapter four, starting at verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that by faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, that is the word circumcised repeated about a hundred times in three verses. But bear with me because here is the purpose. What Romans 4 is telling us is that circumcision functioned in a, a particular way. It was the sign and it was the seal of the faith that Abraham had. So what, the, what Romans 4 is telling us is that Abraham, he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved by being circumcised. He was saved by faith. He was saved, see, you see, the people of God are always saved by the grace of God through faith. Always by grace through faith. So Abraham trusted God. He believed in God. And this, this faith is what joined him to God. This faith is what was saving. The grace of God working through the faith that joined Abraham to the Lord. And as a sign of that faith, then Abraham was called to circumcise himself. And the way that the sign and seal of faith operated within the people of Israel is that Abraham was called to circumcise himself as the sign and seal of faith and to circumcise his son and to circumcise all of the children that would be born into the people of Israel. This sign and seal of faith was for the people of Israel a marker of what made up the people of Israel, right? And so if anyone would would come to trust in the one true God, in order to become a part of the people of Israel, they would have to submit themselves to being circumcised. And then they would also circumcise their sons and the sons that continue to be born within that covenantal family. Sign of entering into that community. If you profess faith in Jesus for the first time, you should be baptized. It's the sign and seal of faith that exists to children. This is why, this is why Reformed churches say baptism is the sign and seal of faith for those that profess faith 
and for their children. And it's also related to Acts chapter 2. And so you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. So Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. The people here, verse 37, says this. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says, repent and be baptized in verse 38 and then verse 39 says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we read that. And again, this, this call, here some commentators pick up on the fact that this call to repent and be baptized is similar to the call to repent and be circumcised in the Old Testament, some you and your children. And so Reformed folks say this indicates that both those that profess faith in Jesus and the children of those who do should be baptized. Now, let me say what Baptists say. Baptists say, okay, so Peter says this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Baptists will say, uh, wh- where does it go? Uh, for this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so what Baptists what Baptist will say is, hey, you shouldn't baptize until you've seen that the Lord God has called this person to himself. Baptism should exist at the time of this profession of faith. I hope that what I'm communicating to you is that both the Reformed and Baptists are trying to be fair to the commands of Scripture when they operate the way that, the way that, that they do, right? In Baptist churches and in Reformed churches. Now, we have, we have people who are in different places within this congregation. I, I am a Reformed minister. I think, that, I think that the Reformed have it biblically correct. I think that given the connection to circumcision and the way that circumcision operated in the Old Testament, I think that this is a sign that belongs to those who profess faith in Jesus and to their children. Baptists, Baptists don't see that same connection in the same way. But one thing that I think that Baptists do that should be an example to the Reformed, particularly, particularly as it relates to sacraments, is this is that in Reformed churches, there should not simply be the baptism of children. There should not simply be the baptism of children. There should also be the baptism of adults that have come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be that, it should not be that uh, in Reformed churches, children are baptized because there's this emphasis on the covenant, and that's the natural way that people come uh, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in Baptist churches, that's where people will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ when they're older. That's where the gospel message is preached and people are baptized when they're older. It should be that in a Reformed church like ours, we continue our practice of baptizing children, but we should also see people coming to a saving faith in Jesus. We should see adults being baptized too. With that said, let me just turn briefly because I've run out of time. Y'all have been great, by the way. You've hung with me really well. What should we be reminded of when we participate? We should be reminded every time baptism takes place in our midst, every time the Lord's Supper is participated in our midst, we should be reminded of the grace and mercy of God. The sacraments, you see, both tell us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 reminds us of this related to baptism. We read this, I read this in the form for baptism, that those of us who are baptized are baptized into his death. Baptism is a reminder of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the scriptures, this is often a a metaphor for death, descending into the deep, descending into the deep waters. This is a metaphor for, for death. And so baptism, reminds us of the fact that Christ Jesus died. And when one is baptized, then one may be raised through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, baptism isn't sufficient for you to save you. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember the the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed for us at the cross. Both baptism and the Lord's Supper remind us of the death of Christ Jesus and both remind us that God saves alone, by grace alone, 
through faith alone. I want for you to think again about how Israel was asked to stand up and be named through an an act of placing the blood on both sides of the door and the top part of the door. I want to ask us to remember this because we also are asked to believe today, to stand up and to act in faith. And I want to mention something that D.A. Carson said from a talk that he gave on on assurance. I I want for you to think about the time when Passover began and and the purpose of Passover to remind us of the blood of the Lamb. I want for you to do the, the work of connecting it to the Lord's Supper, about how the Lord's Supper reminds us of the blood of the Lamb. I want for us to remember how these tell us of the grace and the mercy of God and how we are saved by Him, not by our own strength or ability. So picture two Jews that evening when they've been tasked with slaying a a lamb and, and putting its blood on the doors. In the days before the first Passover, picture them having a discussion in the land of Goshen. And one says to the other, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? The other replies, well, God told us through his servant Moses what we're supposed to do. He told us to, to slay the, the lamb. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb? And haven't you dabbed the doorpost with its blood? And haven't you put the blood on the top part of the door? Haven't you done that? And aren't you packed and ready to go? Aren't you set to eat the Passover meal with your family? And the first person who spoke said, you know, of course I, I've done that. I'm not foolish. I'm, I'm not a fool. But it's still pretty scary when you think about all the things that have happened around here recently. There have been flies and the river turning to blood. And now there's this threat of the firstborn being killed. And it's all right for you. You know, you've got three sons, but I've only got one. I've And I love my little son and the angel of death is passing through tonight and I I know what God says and I put the blood on the door there just like he said, but I'm going to be glad when this night is over. I admit that I'm afraid. And the other looks at him and says, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.